Good morning again. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13. Our sermon text for this morning comes from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. If you've been with us uh, for a few weeks, you know that we have been going consecutively through the Gospel of Matthew. When we got to Matthew 13, uh, I actually um, preached the first and the last parts, and then the second and the second and last parts, and now we're in the, what I see as the center of Matthew 13, which is uh, just these couple of verses. Before we, uh, before we read God's word, let's pray together. Our Father, we, uh, we need you. Uh, we need you. We need you to come and be with us right now. We need you to open my mouth and all of our hearts and minds that I would be able to speak truth and that we would be able to receive it, uh, that we would see Jesus in all of his glory, uh, that we would see him uh, newly this morning, uh, that we would be struck with his glory and his beauty and his wisdom and his power and his might, his mercy and his goodness, and that you would use that to melt our hearts and change our hearts and conform us more fully into his image. Father, be with us this morning. Pour out your spirit on us as we read and hear your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Matthew 13, beginning with verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Well, at the heart of each one of us is a value system. There are some things that we consider very important, we consider valuable, we consider worth our time. You see, we each have certain priorities, certain things we love, certain things we hate, certain things we like and dislike, certain things we see as weighty, certain things we see as trivial, certain things that are worthwhile to us, and certain things that are just worthless. We live based on this value system. Uh, We give our time to what we deem important. Uh, We overlook or ignore or even forget about what we see as unimportant. We will sacrifice for what holds sway over our hearts. Maybe our career or our school or our friendships or our reputation. We spend money and time and energy and effort on what we love. We spend money on going to the movies. We spend time on learning sports stats. Or we spend our energy on positioning ourselves for business deals. What do you value the most? Our values are a mixed bag, right? I mean, it's obvious to look at our culture what we value. We value clothes and entertainment and sex. Uh, We value what's new, what's more, what's bigger. And yet, if you look again, we also value beauty and creativity. We value social justice and equality. We value uh, giving ourselves to a cause that's bigger than ourselves. And the reason we're a mix of good and bad is because on the one hand, we're made in God's image. 
His value system is printed on our hearts. His value system of, of love for neighbor, of caring for the vulnerable, of cultivating beauty in the world. And so art and architecture and service and self-sacrifice are all signs of God's stamp on our hearts. And yet that same image in us is corrupt. Our values have gone askew, and so we value self above God and above neighbor. We value our reputation, our pleasure, our control. And so we're willing to manipulate or steal or lie or cheat or harm or gossip, whatever, in order to pad our resume and indulge in the world or gain the upper hand. And so as we talk this morning, I want you to keep asking yourself, what is it that I value? What is it that I value above all else? Well, this morning we're going to hear Jesus call us to adjust our values, to seek and to find what is truly valuable, and to to count the cost, to, to be willing to give up everything to gain the one thing that matters the most. You can see that outline in your bulletin. It's on the back. Uh, We're going to look at adjusting our values, seeking and finding, and counting the cost. First, we're going to look at adjusting our values. Jesus, again, look look at the verses again, verse 44. Jesus says, "The, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. Then in verse 45, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. We have these two parables here, and really they make the same point. That there is something that is valuable, something that is then found and purchased. And the main question is, one of the main questions is, what is so valuable? What is so valuable that it's worth selling everything you own to buy it? And think about that. I mean, what is there that you might literally sell everything you own in order to purchase? I mean, what could be so valuable, so precious that it would be worth everything? Well, Jesus says there is something. In the parable, the parable says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And so it may seem immediately obvious, right, that the treasure that Jesus is talking about is the kingdom. But I actually think that's not the case. Uh, uh, It may seem obvious, but uh, Jesus is not saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, but that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure which a man found and purchased. Uh, See, the the kingdom is not being compared to the treasure. The kingdom is being compared to the whole story, the whole parable. The kingdom is like the finding and purchasing of a treasure. Instead of the kingdom being like a a king who comes and conquers what everyone expects of a kingdom, right? The, the, the kingdom is like a man who finds hidden treasure and buys it. Again, Jesus is talking about the subtlety of the kingdom like he's been talking about throughout Matthew 13. So that leaves us with the question again, well, okay, if the kingdom is like a man finding treasure, what is this treasure? What is this hidden valuable? And the answer, I I think, in some ways is clear in light of all that we've seen throughout Matthew 11 through 13, Jesus is the hidden treasure. I mean, he's what is hidden from those who think they are wise, but revealed to little children according to Matthew 11. He is the something greater than the temple, something greater than Jonah, something greater than Solomon that has come, and yet people are completely missing. He is the secret of the kingdom that the disciples get and that many prophets and righteous people longed to see. 
So you might wonder, okay, okay, Jesus is this hidden treasure, this valuable. Okay, why? Why is Jesus so valuable? Why, why is he a treasure? It's a good question, right? Because if you don't see the value of knowing Jesus, well, then nothing else here will really matter. If you stumble upon this treasure and, and, and you see it as simply a trinket to be disposed of, then you're not going to sell all to get it. Well, things are often valuable because uh, of their uniqueness or because of their beauty or because of what they offer. And for just a minute, I want you to think about Jesus in these categories, right? Think about him in this way. I mean, think about Jesus' uniqueness, right? I mean, Jesus is the, the only God taking up residence in human skin, I mean, he's unique in that, on the one hand, he's the one true God, right? the second person of the Trinity, the divine Son of the Father. But he's also unique in that he's the one true God in human flesh, right? that, that, that Jesus took up residence in our bodies. Jesus is not unique in the sense of rare, right? I mean, sometimes things are valuable because they're rare, right? So certain precious stones are more valuable because they're rare. Uh, comic books and trading cards right, are more valuable when they're rare, Jesus is not unique in the sense of rare. Jesus is truly and literally one of a kind. He's the only God become incarnate, become enfleshed, taking up residence in human skin. So Jesus is valuable because, because of his uniqueness. And yet he's also valuable because of his beauty. I mean, what makes one diamond more valuable than another? What makes one diamond more beautiful than another? What's the specific character or the attributes of that diamond? And so when I think about the beauty of Jesus, I mean his character, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace, his faithfulness. You know, Solomon once said that surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And yet Jesus was upright. Jesus was good and blameless and faultless. His enemies could not accuse him of anything. In fact, in the end, he was charged with blasphemy, claiming to be God, and the charge above his head on the cross said, he is the king of the Jews. So the only thing Jesus was ever guilty of was being himself. His goodness is manifested in his mercy, his grace, his love. He condescended, he stepped down to take on the form of a servant, to, to walk and talk with us, to live and die for us. Jesus is one who, in his mercy, ate with tax collectors and sinners. He drank with gluttons and drunkards. He touched the lepers and healed the sick and gave the widow back her only son. Jesus, out of his great love for us, came into the world to take our debt, to bear our punishment, to bring the forgiveness of our sins to those who are most despised, most rejected, most destitute and condemned. So Jesus came. He came with a heart full of mercy for those who are most in need. And so he's good and he's merciful and he's also faithful. I mean, Jesus loves us and will never forsake us, the Bible tells us. We can't outsin his love. We can't drive him off. We're in this whole life thing together, right? He is with us to the end. Proverbs say there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, Jesus is that faithful friend who will never leave you nor forsake you. How many friends do you have like that? Sadly, right, in this life, often not many. But Jesus will not turn his back on us. He is good, he is loving, he is faithful, all of which means he is beautiful. Right? He, and, and this is just a glimpse, right? Just a, just a little glimpse, a little taste of his character, his good, merciful, and faithful character. 
Do you see his beauty, right? Do you, do you see that if, that if you could find a friend like this, full of goodness and grace, a friend who would stick with you through thick and thin, if you could find a friend like that, wouldn't you have him? Wouldn't you take him? Jesus is beautiful. Of course, things are not only valuable because of their uniqueness and their beauty, but also because of what they offer. Now, I didn't want to be utilitarian about Jesus, right? Which is why I began with who he is, right? His uniqueness, his beauty. But he does come to, to offer us something, doesn't he? That no one else can offer. The, you know, the goal of advertising is often to get you to, to buy their product. And oftentimes they do that, right, by telling you that, that all your worldly hopes and dreams will be fulfilled if only you buy this product, uh, you'll, you'll look better, you'll smell better, you'll do better on your exams, people will like you, you'll get a better job, house, car, family. All of your worldly problems will go away if only you buy the right brand of toothpaste or whatever. See, a product made in a factory that comes in a cardboard box that you buy with money is made out to be your savior. Well, only Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. Remember, he said that it is not the healthy that need a physician, but the sick. So Jesus came for the sick. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus came into the world to die for sins, to offer eternal life, reconciliation with the Father, freedom from slavery to sin, restoration to other people in this new thing called the church. Jesus came to offer the personal presence of the Holy Spirit. And he came into the world to renew the world under God's gracious rule. And one day restore the whole creation to what it was meant to be. Do you feel the weight of, of all that Jesus came to bring? Do you feel your need of that? I mean, do you feel the weight of your guilt or, or the, the a weight of an unsettled conscience or the sting of shame? Are you ruining your life with self-destructive habits? Do you live under compulsions that you can't control, right? Do you often know the good you should do, but you still don't do it? Do you have relationships that are broken or interpersonal interactions that are weighed down with strife and shame and fear? Do you feel the burden of a body under the curse, right? A body that has regular aches and pains, that gets sick and that's growing old and is facing the inevitable death. Well, it's true, on the one hand, if you come to Jesus, these things will not instantly get better. All your problems will not simply go away the moment you turn to Jesus. But these are all effects of human sin, which Jesus did come to deal with. And he's begun that now, right? In, in our relationship to him, in our relationship to the Father, he's restoring us to himself. And he's going to continue that into the future when Jesus returns and renews this whole physical world order. And so Jesus offers life. He comes and he offers life to us. Life now, life for the future, life in its fullest. Whatever anyone else might offer you, right, it's, it's temporal, it's impermanent, it's limited, it's finite, it's passing away. But Jesus comes that we might have life and have it to its fullest. Do you see the priceless treasure that is Jesus? And we, we are controlled by what we value. You know, once uh, Jesus was having dinner in Martha's home, you may remember the story. Martha was so worried about dinner that she was, she, she was so worried about getting everything just right, so worried about prepping all the dishes and setting the table, right, but her sister Mary was simply, she simply sat at Jesus' feet to gaze at his beauty, to soak it all in. Now, Martha was indignant about this, right? She was upset. She was even a little upset with Jesus. So she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
And Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, Mary saw the, the treasure sitting right in front of her. She longed to hear Jesus. She wanted to soak in his grace, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness, his love. And so she sat at his feet just to listen, just to hear from the master. And Jesus calls us to adjust our values. Right? What, do you, what do you value most in life? I mean, how, how, how unique and beautiful and profitable is it? How does it compare? The Proverbs actually uh, call us to make the comparison. They invite us to make the comparison. Uh, the Proverbs tell us that wisdom is better than gain from silver, her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. And then we're told in the New Testament that Jesus is our wisdom. And so the question is, what do you desire that compares with him? If you're like me, you're torn. Because there are a lot of things that you desire. You have this sense that Jesus is valuable, but, but you know that you undervalue him. You value the things of this world. Maybe it's simple things, right? Like a good cup of coffee or a new article of clothing or time with friends and family. And maybe it's bigger things like success and money and sex and career. But whatever it is, you know that your heart clings to these things and not to Jesus. And you wonder if you really value Jesus and it worries you sometimes. In some ways, that, that's a good concern, because it likely shows that on some level you do value Jesus, you recognize how valuable he is, but you know that your heart is divided. You need to grow in your love for Jesus. How do you do that? How do you grow in your love for him? How do you grow in valuing Jesus above all else? Have you ever noticed when, you, when you've wanted something that uh, the more you look at it, uh, the more you go online and read about it, the more you go to the store and look at it, the, the more you check the price and compare it with other brands, right? the more you begin to want that thing. The, the greater your desire grows. You're feeding it every time you look at it, every time you think about it. If you want to grow in valuing Jesus, you must spend your time gazing at him like Mary did, meditating on him, right? remembering his beauty and his character, rehearsing his mercy and his grace. The more you do that in reliance upon the Holy Spirit, the more you will delight in him and the more you will be freed from the love of the things of this world. Jesus calls us to adjust our values, to value him above all else. The second, he calls us to seek and to find. Now, in both of these parables, there's this implied exhortation. Jesus is calling his hearers to do everything they need to do in order to purchase the treasure. But before you can purchase it, you must find it. Now, there's a subtle difference in the two parables, right? The, the first one, the man finds a treasure hidden in a field, and we're, we're not told that he sought for it at all. He, he didn't seek, but he did find. And there are times when God comes in, that he, he comes in out of the blue, and he shows himself to someone who wasn't even seeking, right? Who wasn't even looking. And God shows up in someone's life. But then there's this second parable, right, where, where there's a merchant, it's uh, searching for fine pearls. He seeks the pearls and he finds this pearl of great price. This is what Jesus promised back in Matthew chapter 7. He promised, seek and you will find. And while it is true that some people find Jesus who were never searching for him in the first place, right, the implied exhortation is to seek, right, seek, to seek him out, to search for him. But not just to seek, to seek and to find, 
Now, that may seem like a strange thing to emphasize, seek and find. If I'm seeking, I'm trying to find, right? I'm, uh, if I'm looking for something, I'm trying to find it. And if I'm seeking for something, I mean, the finding isn't really up to me, right? It's maybe I'll find it, maybe I won't, I'm looking for it. But, you know, not everyone seeks in order to find, uh, the, the religious leaders in Jesus' day didn't. Uh, Jesus said of them, you search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that speak of me, Jesus said, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, they, they sought, but they searched and they searched and they never found because they didn't really want to find what was there. They didn't want Jesus. And so they just kept on searching. And sometimes people talk about the search as if searching in and of itself was an intrinsic good. And so they call themselves, you know, I'm a seeker, I'm looking for answers, but they don't really have any interest in finding. You may have heard different sayings like, you know, success is a journey, not a destination, or, or we should maintain a position of open-mindedness, right? Just always looking, never really finding. Well, there are some who seek to maintain this stance of sort of perpetual seeking. They, they don't want to commit, they, don't, they, they, they want to keep their options open. Well, I once heard someone say that an open Mind is like an open mouth. It's meant to close on something. So are you seeking the truth, the treasure, the beauty in order to find it? Or do you just like to think of yourself as a, as a seeker? Do you, do you feel good about the fact that you're seeking, that you're looking? Uh, maybe you're dabbling in different ideas, different religions. Maybe you think that there's some virtue in searching in and of itself. Well, there's no virtue in searching. Jesus promises, seek and you will find. If you, genuinely, if you are genuinely seeking, you will find, Jesus says. The search is to an end. It's to a purpose. And there is a treasure out there, a gift that God has given to give us joy. You know, a thirsty man who merely seeks for water still dies of thirst. A hungry man who merely seeks for food still dies of starvation. A, a dying man who merely seeks for life still dies. Jesus invites us throughout Scripture to come to him and find life, to come and find satisfaction, to come and find rest. He invites us to come and to seek and to find. As Jesus calls us first to adjust our values, our, our thinking about what's valuable, what's important. Second, he calls us to seek and to find what is most, most valuable. And finally, he calls us to count the cost. You know, in both of these parables, the, the one who finds the treasure and the pearl, they, they go and they sell all that they have to buy the object of their desire. Now, if Jesus is a treasure and, and he is the one that we are to seek and to find, what does it mean to sell everything and to purchase the field? Right? I mean, grace is free, right? If it's free, how can it, how can it be so costly? How can, it, how can it, I, have, I have to sell everything in order to get it? Well, you think about how this works in history. Uh, early on in, in the Bible, God called Abraham, who was a, a pagan at the time. He worshipped a plethora of gods. And God promised him uh, to give him a land and a family. And God's promise was free. Abraham couldn't earn it. He couldn't deserve it. But Abraham had to leave his home if he was to journey to the promised land. Right? He had to give up everything. He had to leave everything behind in order to gain what God had promised. The promise was free, and yet it was costly at the same time. And Christ can be ours, and all the riches and benefits of Christ as well. He, he's God's gift to the world. Jesus will give himself to us. He's completely free, and yet he costs everything. 
It's as if a great king were to propose to a peasant girl. She hasn't earned it. Uh, She doesn't have the proper qualifications, right? She doesn't have the right upbringing. She doesn't have the proper dowry. But the king sets his love on her and makes the offer. The offer is freely hers, right? There's nothing she has to do. Yet, on the other hand, she must give up everything, right? She, She must give up her dirty little cottage, her pigs, her farm. She must leave her old life in order to have this new one. God is happy to give us his son and everything with him, and he will give it all for nothing. But in order to receive it, we must be willing to give up everything. And we must value Jesus more than anything, not because God won't have us until we get our values right. God's not waiting up there saying, as soon as you get it right, then, then I'll give you Jesus. No, no, but because we won't have him until we get our values right. right? It's until our heart is directed toward Jesus that we, we turn from him and we, we focus on everything else. Paul says at one point that he counts everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. All he could take pride in, his birthright, his righteousness, his obedience, his zeal, right? He counts everything as loss because he wants to know Jesus. Are you willing to pursue Jesus like that? Do you see how valuable he is? Are you you willing to look at the world and say nothing is more valuable than knowing Jesus? Are you willing to sit at his feet, even if it means letting things in the world go by? On the one hand, really, that doesn't mean that you'll necessarily have to give up anything, And yet, it does mean that you must be willing to give up everything that might get in the way of your pursuit of Jesus. Now, maybe you're listening and you're on the fence. Maybe you still don't know if Jesus is really worth it, really that valuable as I'm making him out to be. Let me say one more thing. There's actually another way of looking at these parables. Whether this is the right way of looking at it or not, or just an application of what we've been saying, I don't know. Uh, it's important to see, though, how the logic of this parable uh, is wrapped up in the logic of the gospel. You know, in all of the parables of Matthew 13, Jesus is the main character, right? Jesus is the sower who went out to sow. Jesus is the master of the field who sowed good seed. Jesus is the one who sows the mustard seed. He's the woman who hides leaven in the bread. Jesus is the one who throws out the net into the sea to bring in a great catch of fish. So if we look at the parables in this light, we end up with this, that Jesus is the treasure hunter. He is the merchant of pearls. He comes to the earth in search of treasure. That's true, of course, because Jesus himself says that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. In Luke 15, Jesus compares himself to a shepherd searching for his lost sheep, to a woman searching for her lost coin, to a father searching for his lost son. And the lost treasure in Luke 15 even brings Jesus joy when it's found. You you may remember in in that passage, Jesus says, There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or again, he says, There's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's interesting, it says, before the angels of God. Because who does that mean, right? Who's before the angels of God? Well, God himself is before the angels of God. God's the one doing the rejoicing in that verse, rejoicing over sinners who come to repentance. Finally, Jesus tells us in Luke 15 uh, about the father who celebrates and throws a lavish party at the return of his son. You see, it may be hard to accept or maybe even just odd to wrap our brains around, but Jesus has told us three times in Matthew that, that we are valuable to the father. Remember Matthew 6, he said we're more valued, valuable than the birds. In Matthew 10, he said we're more valuable than many sparrows. Matthew 12, he says people are more valuable than sheep. 
And so the, the treasure hunter comes to find his lost valuables. What does he sell in order to buy the field? What does he give up in order to acquire the pearl? He gives up everything, right? I mean, Jesus, who knew only glory and eternal praise, takes the form of a servant. Jesus, who knew only the Father's love, receives the Father's wrath. Jesus, who knew only the Father's adoring presence, receives the Father's rejection on the cross. Jesus, who knew only life from eternity, receives death. And in so doing, we are purchased. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that we're purchased, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, like a lamb without blemish or spot. See, Jesus is the treasure hunter who, who left heaven to come to earth to purchase back that which was rightfully his. And for the joy set before him, we're told, he endured the cross. Now do you see the value of Jesus? Right? The, the worth of our Savior? Right? The magnificence of our treasure-hunting, life-giving, self-sacrificing king who takes sinful, rebellious people to himself as his bride? Pursue him. With all your heart, pursue him. He is worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us to see, help us to see your beauty. Help us to see uh, your riches. Help us to see your worth. Open our eyes. Open our minds. Work in our hearts that we would see your beauty, see your value that we would long for it, that we would pursue it, and that we would chase you with everything that we are and with everything that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.